The following program is brought to you by Podcast One Sportsnet. Don't forget to download our new Podcast One app. Quick break to tell you guys about NFL Game Pass, the only way that you can replay every game all season long. You can relive all the gutsy calls, crazy catches, wild comebacks, and breakout stars from every game every week. It's all the action, all the football you can handle, all in one place. So every game that we're talking about right now, you guys can rewatch it after the fact. I'm going to be going back, and you guys can too. Go check out Lamar Jackson in week one. Go check out Dak Prescott and what that Cowboys offense actually did. Go check out Kyler Murray in his NFL debut. That's my favorite thing about NFL Game Pass. You can go back and watch at any time. And if you haven't watched a condensed game yet, you have to try it out. It's every play from the game back to back to back so you can replay an entire NFL game in the fraction of the time it normally takes. It's how I'm able to follow all the MVP candidates, all the breakout stars, and, of course, your waiver wire pickups all season long. To see all the action this season and stay on top of all the big storylines, you need NFL Game Pass. Best of all, you can kick off the 2019 NFL season with a seven-day free trial of NFL Game Pass. Just sign up now at NFL.com slash Pro Football Focus NFL. Get ready for the tastiest breakfast under the sun. New Jimmy Dean Casserole Bites. All the homemade flavors of a breakfast casserole packed into a poppable bite. And you know something else? They taste good. Welcome in to the PFF NFL Podcast. Steve Palazzola here with Sam Monson on a Monday morning. Sam, how you doing, buddy? Doing good, Steve. You? Doing great. It's going to be a better show than Thursday when I kept calling it the Week 7 preview, even though it was Week 8. Okay. Anybody call me on that? I don't know. I didn't check, but probably. People live for that kind of thing. They do. They love telling you when you're wrong about Uh stuff. I mean, that's what the Internet's for. Hmm. Right? Okay. That's why it was invented. Anyway, Week 8 in the books. We're going to review the whole thing. Yes. Yeah, that's what this show's for. I'm just going to finish typing a message here real quick. Huh. Okay. That's highly professional. We start on Thursday Night Football that happened since we recorded the last show, even though... No. Yeah. Since we recorded the last show, but but not when most people listen to it, if you get me. Yeah. The whole uh, Redskins-Vikings game yeah. was close for a while, and then Vikings just went full, run the ball, yeah. dominate up front. So had... The Redskins not had to turn to Dwayne Haskins. They might have actually had some prayer in this game. But when they did, game over. No hope. Yeah. Dwayne hasn't looked good when he's been out there. No. At all. Very not good. Um, Case Keenum got banged up. He was doing he all right. He wasn't good either. But like, he was doing all right. Yeah. He was he completing passes at least. Yeah, he wasn't good either. But if you need one of them to do something, he was the more likely of the two to make it happen. You know who was amazing? Kirk Cousins again? No. In oh. the realm of we only talk about players I like, Matt Ioannidis oh, dominated on that Redskins D-line. Pound the table. What, please? is it wreck your laptop? I mean, it could. Yeah. That seems more of a problem in your laptop. That's a whole separate show table. where you just talk about the guys you like. Oh, we can make that happen if you want. Vikings defense was pretty good with the exception of Xavier Rhodes, who is bad right now and maybe bad from you know now on. Yeah. It's been a while since he's looked any good. Uh, Kirk Cousins looked all right. So there were a lot of people that were like, why is this grade not amazing? Because he completed 88% of his passes. Like his average depth of target was like four yards downfield. Did you not notice that Stephon Diggs was making all the play after he caught the ball? Like, I don't understand what is wrong with people. He still had a really good grade, though. Yeah, it was good. It was like 83, 84, something like that. It's a good game. 
Sure, but it's not like... He went 23 for 26 with two throwaways and a dropped pass, meaning his adjusted completion percentage was 100%. Right, but completion percentage is essentially... I don't want to... It's, it's not entirely, but in the same way that quarterbacks own their pressure rate, like average depth of target dictates completion rate. If you're throwing the ball four yards downfield every single play, you should be completing 88% of your passes. Yeah, it's, it's not like... It's a bit of a function of average depth of target. A massive function of it. Yeah. So Kirk Cousins comes out of that game and was like, oh, it's a record. He said 80, completed 88% of his passes. Like, yes, because he didn't throw the ball down the field. Yeah, but he didn't. He it's played good, a, not played great. A good game. The end. I was, was like, saying, a, Ryan was, Tannehill had a perfect passer rating a couple of years ago with four touchdowns, three of which came on screens, which right. was all Lamar Miller after the catch. So we always, so always have to explain fine. that. Yeah, he, he was, was good. good. But anyone out there expecting him to have well, a grade in the ni- like 95 well, that's is like, just not watching the game. People that think that passer rating, because you hear announcers talk about that, I don't even know what passer rating means, and I don't know what perfect is, but this looks like perfect to me. And the purpose behind passer rating is to say, if you maximize these, if you have 100%, if you maximize these four components, which is completion percentage, yards per attempt, touchdown percentage, and interception percentage, that's a perfect passer rating. It's not a game in which you go 30 for 30 for 140 yards or anything like that. That's not a perfect passer rating. It's maximizing those four pa- uh, categories. For us, it's like, all right, each throw is graded individually, and there's a little bit of how difficult was this, how schemed up was it that comes yeah, into it. And it's that's why that- a guy can have worse stats and better grades. Right. And I had some people bitching at me that like, you know, it's if he's if the defense is vulnerable underneath and he's putting the ball where it should go every single time, why are we docking him points for that? Like the deeper pass is not always the best option, which is not what we're doing. The point is simply that even on that underneath stuff, there are gradations of things. You know, if a guy is like if Tom Brady has had these seasons where he's made a career out of just killing teams with a thousand paper cuts underneath Every single play, the ball is almost exactly where it needs to be, leading these guys into space for extra yards after the catch, blah, blah, blah. This was a game where they just weren't covering anybody underneath. And Cousins put a ball at a guy in tons of space who then runs for like the next five minutes because there's nobody on defense covering anybody. Like, there's only so much you can credit a guy for that. It's not that we're docking him points for taking what the defense was giving him. It's that the defense was giving him so much there's only so much credit the guy can get because the job is being made that much easier by the defense like it's not it's not that we're we're penalizing him for it it's just that there's only so much credit you can give for that so it it is what i do like about the quarterback system that that we have here because it essentially says if the stats don't match the grade there was something else going on it means either Diggs was picking up yards after the catch which, which is a function of him or a function of the defense and after you do throw that perfectly accurate pass, again, that's a good thing. But whether or not it becomes, you know, 10 yards after the catch or 40 is on the receivers or and, the, or in or the, the defense. defense. So Cousins still ends up with an 82.8 passing grade. That's still that's great. He really didn't have to do much as far as throwing beyond the sticks. But the Vikings, they play Kansas City next week. Is that right? Uh, yes. So the no, Vikings. Is, yes. yes. Yes, yes, yes. Vikings are looking really good. Um, I mean, that was their, what, they have like a seven-minute drive to yeah. close that thing out. That was an excellent run-blocking display. That was the front. best their offensive line has looked, to be honest. Oh, absolutely. That was that was like the classic. Despite Elfline getting whooped for a few penalties. And they were going outside zone left, outside zone right. I mean, that was just like the classic outside zone, and then there's 
two to three yards of space for the running back to do something with. Of course, Dalvin, um, this wasn't even Dalvin's cleanest game as far as making guys miss other than in the passing game. He did a nice job. But 23 carries for 98 yards, just grinded it in there. Madison, 13 carries for 61 yards. I mean, that was just what they wanted. Mm -hmm. So that was Thursday night. Now let's get to yesterday. All right, where do you want to start? Uh, So this was a weird week because heading into it, there weren't a lot of games on this slate that actually excited me. But there were quite a few that ended up kind of close and interesting. Uh, Let's start with the Seahawks and the Falcons. So we'll go in our order here. Well, let's go in this order. This order, yeah. At least for week for game one. The Falcons' defense was still not good. Yeah. But this game was actually weirdly close by the end because they were dominated for most of it. And then Matt Schaub, like, actually towards the death, just kept plugging away, brought some points on the he board. He threw for about 460 yards. I know. It's insane, right? They Apparently, in six of his previous 10 starts, he had a pick six. Not just a pick. Oh, yeah. He pick finished six. He was so in case people forgot about Matt Schaub, he was essentially a top ten caliber quarterback for a chunk of his career. Yeah. Top ten to fifteen. Maybe not caliber, but as far as statistically. Yeah. I mean he I mean and there was the Kubiak system and they did a really nice job. He was a really good fit for it. And then he just hit a wall. Mm-hmm. I mean, he hit a pick six wall where it was just like, all right, this dude's done. Right. And that was two thousand thirteen and into fourteen was really 2013 he was pretty much done um he's been hanging out as a backup since then i mean other than he had a fumble on what should have been a hail mary attempt 39 put the ball in harm's way a couple times but 39 of 48 for 460 yards a touchdown and a pick yeah that's quite the stat line for a backup quarterback thrust into emergency action let me just say look i understand that there's game flow and all this stuff let me just say hypothetically if you could give Russell Wilson, forget 48 attempts, just say 40 attempts against this Falcons defense. Do you think he might throw for 300 or 400 yards? Yeah. Yeah. And I don't think he'd throw a pick either. So, I mean, that's that's why it, sta- it remained close. I mean, I, th- I still think I still think Seattle's playing with fire here. And I know that they were up big and they wanted to run the clock out, but they're just so into this mentality. I was half joking yesterday on Twitter. Russell Wilson, our highest graded quarterback, I mean, MVP candidate right now, probably the most valuable quarterback in the NFL. He's he's the most underused MVP candidate. Yeah, that we've seen. This was like like, put the ball in his hands. Yeah, this was it looked like it was going to be a walkover early. Um, And then, you know, you give Matt Schaub that many chances and he's just going to keep keep bringing you back. Yeah, that was. um, I don't know. That was. In my uh, so you know, like every now and again, there's a piece of commentary that leaps out in terms of being so crazy. You've got to talk about it later. Um, this was on the Red Zone channel, right? Jadevi and Clowney made a play at some point, and Michael, or uh, not Michael, Andrew Siciliano had what must be one of the most epic brain farts of all time. Starts talking about Javon Curse making a play. Ooh. Like you're like. A decade, you just like skipped a decade of NFL play and like teams. You know what I mean? Like, it's not even like this guy 10 years ago was playing for this team. It's like wrong era, wrong team, wrong look. I mean, they don't even look alike. Like, what the hell happened in your head to say, you know, you think it's easy to curse? You think it's easy to an eight hours of live TV? I don't. 
but I think there are certain there are certain like brain malfunctions in that scenario that make some sense to me. There are others where it's like, what happened? Where did the synapses go wrong that pivoted from Jadevian Clowney making a play in the backfield to Javon Curse? Who like when did he even retire? Like late nineties? No, that was when he was young. All right, nineties. We'll find out. Yeah, we? yeah. When this did is Javon Curse? This is important stuff here, up. Sam. This is important. Anyway, the Falcons defense. Okay, yeah, just a enough. mess again. 2009 was his last season. No kidding. Tennessee Titans, Philadelphia Eagles, and then Tennessee Titans again. Nowhere did he play for the Seahawks. The freak. Yeah. Right. Nowhere. I don't think that he have Lay giant our guy dreadlocks. I'm just saying there are there are brain farts that make sense to me, and then there are what happened in your head to create that that breakdown. Yeah. Um, anyway, J- uh, Javon Curse is making a bunch of plays here. Sack. Few hits, few hurries. Pretty dominant. Yeah, but seven total pressures mm-hmm. for Javon. Um, I had a thought yesterday. Oh yeah? With all the um all the Tom Brady rumors. What was your thought? As I'm watching the Falcons get destroyed here. Uh-huh. Right. And what if Tom because the the Falcons job is going to be the most coveted. Right. And if there are rumors that Brady might leave town. Uh-huh. What if he wants to go finish his career in a nice Nice environment for throwing the football, especially after playing in the rain Don't. yesterday. So him and Josh McDaniels reunite with Thomas Dimitrov. Uh-huh. He, they trade Matt Ryan and try to sneak a couple extra years out of Brady in Atlanta where he gets to. I'm just saying if if Brady's going to leave New England ever, much like when Peyton left Denver, I mean, Indianapolis to go to Denver, you want to get to a good situation. Yeah. Right. So as far as situations go. You got Julio Jones, Calvin Ridley. So you got playmakers to throw to. The O-line needs work, mm-hmm. but you got playmakers to throw to. If you bring your offensive coordinator with you for his head coaching job to reunite with former New England executives over there, and you get the dome, and you get to go play, you know, head-to-head with Drew Brees maybe for the next five years as you guys hmm. get into your 50s. Here's the thing. That right? was just the thought. Yeah. it's it. I don't see it happening, but no. I like my thought better. What's that? All right. Which I got, I angered a lot of Patriots fans. I know that's shocking. I don't have a history of that. Um, so the one of the most impressive things about Joe Montana's career was right at the end where they packed him off and they said, look, all right, we can't do this anymore. We're moving to Steve Young. Your time is over, Joe. Get out of here. Joe goes to Kansas City, revives the Chiefs, drags him to the playoffs, beats the 49ers. This is Tom Brady's destiny, right? They're finally going to say, all right, look, we can't keep doing this anymore you're you're 52 years old and you have to get out of here it's time yeah but it might happen right? seven or eight years down the road whatever they're going to get rid of him they're going to keep belichick craft everybody's in situ brady your time's done we got to move on it's, it's just just too long we can't keep doing this so brady living for this kind of moment feels shunned by the team that gave him the chance in the first place brady goes to some like hapless afc team right somebody you know middle of the pack tennessee for example right Drags Tennessee back to the playoffs where they defeat the New England Patriots. Tom Brady sticking it to the team that send him packing heroically towards the end then rides off into the sunset. Joe Montana style. Yeah, I mean, Brady's dad actually said that's what's going to other than the riding off into the sunset part. He thought he predicted years ago it's going to end ugly in New England for whatever he thinks. And I think that's just them understanding football history. And yeah, hey, rarely it happened, does it end well. If it happened to Brady's hero, Joe Montana, it could happen to him. It well, particularly, it doesn't. So it, it almost never ends well unless the quarterback himself understands that it's time, right? 
Like right. Dan Marino realized it was time when the end of his career was a disaster. When they lost 62-7? to seven, Right. To my John Elway realized it was time and was able to walk away at the end of the, you know, the Super Bowl stuff. But most quarterbacks that like don't realize it's time need to be like drop kicked out of the building. Like Brett Favre. Well, I mean, they didn't were... realize it was time. Eventually, they had to say, "All right, look enough of this crap. Just get out of here. We have Aaron Rodgers." Bye-bye. But they had Aaron Rodgers. The Niners were trying to get rid of Montana for a few years because right. he was so banged up, and they knew Steve Young yeah. was special. The Patriots have Jarrett Stidham. Yes, so, so I don't they're think not, they're ready no. for. I mean, they've been looking for their but there are other successor teams, for a while. Yeah, there are other teams where it's like you know the moving on from the guy was not necessarily prompted by the guy. Like you have to say at some point, right? All right, look, you're done. We need to move on from you. You're, you know, you're, you're more wor- hassle than you're worth. Get out of here. And if the guy doesn't want to go, there's problems. Anyway, I'm just saying, Tom Brady's destiny is clearly to drag the Tennessee Titans back to the playoffs, beating the Patriots along the way, being able to stick it to the team that you know wronged him the most. Yeah. After giving him six rings, that's definitely what he's going to be doing. So anyway, um, Russell Wilson goes 14 of 20. For 182, you know, again, if you just give him seven or eight more pass attempts, they probably score 35 and it's not even that close. The Seahawks and the Vikings are like the same team. Like they want desperately to have a game where they don't need their quarterback to pass more than 20 times. Yeah. So Wilson on the ball on the ground. They live for like, you know, 1993 football. Oh, absolutely. They do. Wilson, um, one of our top graded quarterbacks, maybe the top graded despite only the 20 attempts, threw a bomb to DK Metcalf that he couldn't keep his feet in. That um, Granted, the, the touchdowns that Wilson threw were wide open. That was just... I don't understand how the Falcons have so many coverage busts in the red zone. Over and over again in the red this zone, they just covers, they cover nobody. They didn't cover Metcalf for either of his touchdowns. And there was another one yeah. that got taken off the board that they didn't cover him on either. Well, there was one that should have been caught that he couldn't stay in bounds, is what yeah, I'm saying. Yeah, that's what I mean. And Wilson had a couple other nice throws to Tyler Lockett over the middle of the field. So when he did throw the ball, he was... On one of those, there's just wide open guys on running Metcalf's all over the first place. touchdown. I don't think they covered anybody. No, like the entire defense was in disarray before the snap, and nobody was covered. There's something happening there defensively, and it's, how is everybody in that building still employed? It's not. It's beyond a talent issue. I mean, look when you look at the secondary, rookie Kendall Sheffield, uh, Liddy Ray Wilson, back still there kicking around. I mean, it's not great personnel wise. But it kind of reminds me of the Dolphins. Like, personnel-wise, it shouldn't be this bad. No. And there were players that were playing fine before. They yeah. just aren't. Right. So, so yeah, they've got some issues. major so issues. Brady to Atlanta. You heard, it, you heard it here first. Brady to Atlanta. Yeah. All right. Philadelphia Eagles at the Buffalo Bills. Yeah. 31 to 13. The Eagles. This is just typical, right? You go through and you talk up Josh Allen a little bit as maybe he's better than we thought he was. Look, he's really highly graded on everything shy of the deep bomb. He goes out there and stinks. Well, that's because when, listen, when we were just talking about him grading on actual passes, the big part of his grade that's been terrible this year is the turnovers and fumbles. So forget the, I mean, mostly the, just the fumbles that he's had in the pocket, the avoidable fumbles that showed up again in this game against the Eagles. Yeah. And you know, it was windy, but to be honest, what's the point in having a howitzer for an arm if you can't cut through the wind every now and again? Listen, I am a I am as sympathetic as it gets when it comes to the weather. I mean, when you talk about there are guys, I've said this the last couple of weeks, there are guys playing in torrential rainstorms and windstorms, and then there's other guys playing in domes. I mean, it really is like playing two different games. Right. I mean, it really is completely different. So I think Josh Allen statistically is going to be 
you know, he's got some things working against him over the years. Even if you look at like Montana and Young through the years, the fact that they had to play in the howling wind of candlestick and they still put up those numbers. I mean, that's impressive when you take that stuff into account. So I give Allen a little bit of a pass with that, you know, with that stuff. But the decision making and the in the pocket stuff is still what's not great. Yeah. Um, and his stats didn't look that bad, but he really didn't play well. Still five yards per attempt. And and look, he was he was throwing the ball better early. Statistically, he was okay early. And then he wasn't doing much in the second half. Carson Wentz had just a really nice game as far as uh, you know, when they needed him to move the chains in the second half and all that stuff, he's picking up yards with his legs and all that uh, through the ball. OK, but uh, this was a dominant performance up front by the offensive line. Yeah. Consequently, the run game functioned. So everyone's going to do that in reverse, right? It's going to be the run game was great. And then, hey, look at these offensive linemen. It's going to be no, no, no. The offensive lineman oh, was yeah. pretty dominant. So the run game was very good. We had uh, Jordan Howard. Um, had some good production. Miles Sanders broke off that 65-yard run. That was big. Boston Scott got in the end zone. Now, his stats weren't great other than that, but whatever. The point is, Boston Scott scored um, because the run game was dominant. Yes. But that's a product. Like, you know, run game is largely a product of the blocking. The blocking was really good. This was kind of the Eagles team that went AWOL the last few weeks, right? They had some real production up front. Brandon Graham got a sack. Still in there for the 10, Steve? Jeez, this thing keeps... Um, Fletcher Cox got a couple. They they got a lot of pressure up front. Derek Barnett had a reasonable game in terms of production, scooped up a fumble as well. Um, the back end is still a concern, but they were you know, better with Ronald Darby back there. He made some plays, albeit you know, not perfect. But this was kind of the team that we expected to see the past few weeks and hadn't been there. Nothing like the wind and Josh Allen to make your secondary look better. That'll help. That will help. Certainly will. Uh, yeah, I mean, this is this is definitely more classic Eagles, right? With all those pressures, again, Allen will invite that a little bit. The old line's not great. Uh, but this is one of those games where I think, on paper, the Eagles are a better team. The record said different things. I will say the Bills' defense... And we always talk about, ah, you know, defense is tough to count on. The Bills' defense probably had their – they definitely had their worst game of the year, right? I mean, this was – they did get run over. This was like the Bills of 2017 where McDermott just got there. The coverage unit was still – you know, they were tough to throw the ball against, but they would just get destroyed up front. Whether it was somewhat by decision and somewhat by personnel, they just didn't have the horses up front to handle the run game. The Eagles did a great job scheming it up and just winning at the point of attack, and that's why they put up so many points. The yeah. run game can work if you're good at it. Yeah. It's not that, I mean... If you I can don't... guarantee success, yeah, then you're fine. Mm-hmm. So nice win by the Eagles. It's just such a loaded NFC fighting for those playoff spots. Every game is crucial at this point. Yeah, particularly for teams that have thrown away a few wins along the way. Right. Um, the Chargers at the Bears, we previewed as the underwhelming bowl. Um, and it really was. Like, this was this was <laughs> a really miserable was. game. Um, it was amazing. The Chargers turned the ball over a few times early in the game, and yet the Bears were spectacularly unable to do anything with that. Philip Rivers made some really nice throws that just didn't show up on the stat sheet in this one, too. Um, yeah, largely because you know Trubisky was uh, was at quarterback. It was amazing. so everyone last week was hammering the Bears for not establishing the run. Including Matt Nagy. He's like, I, I know we got to run the ball. I'm not an idiot. 
We've got to run the ball more. Um, so here, they ran the living crap out of the ball. They got a huge amount of production on the ground. David Montgomery, 27 carries, 135 yards and a touchdown, and they scored 16 points. Could have been 19. Yes. Kicked that field goal. Uh-huh. Missed a couple. But either way, yeah, the point points. being that the, establishing the hell out of the run was not the answer to your offensive woes. The fact that you have a turkey at quarterback is the problem, not that you your balance was off. And all that said, Mitchell did do a nice job on that last drive, putting them in position for the field goal. <laughs> Had yeah, a couple, but converted you know, a couple first downs through the air and then had that really nice scout, uh, sack escape to put them into field goal range. Yeah, but I'm going to need you to do it for more than one drive. I know. I'm just trying to. if you did it for all the drives before that, you wouldn't need that drive in the first place. I'm just saying this wasn't the worst of his games. I'm just, so He's my, played worse games. My point generally, right, is that here they established the crap out of the run. This is the offense that everybody bitched about last week, and they scored nine fewer points. Now, okay, you can say it should have been six fewer points if the kicker makes the gimme, but it was also some garbage time in last week against the Saints. Whatever. The point is, neither of those things were the problem, right? The fact that you passed a lot last week was not the reason you didn't win. And the fact that you ran the ball without problems this week didn't make you win. So let's maybe analyze what's wrong with this offense and point to the guy taking snaps and say, you know what? He's still really bad. So you're not going to win while that's happening. Yeah. I mean, Bears fans, I think they're they're ready to move on. I, uh, yeah, and it took until last week. Um, Montgomery did look really good. He did. To his credit. Now, I saw a lot of people predicting that they were going to revert back to the run, that Montgomery you know, would have a big game, and, and he did because, yeah, he just usually makes stuff happen after contact. He's a good runner. You saw he, he had a breakaway run where he just couldn't break away, Yeah, um, which is fine. I mean, that reminds me of Frank Gore. It's like if everything else... Frank Gore never had breakaway speed, but he was just, you know, good, well, at, good at having productive runs. People used to criticize Barry Sanders for that. It's like he'll get run down over 80 yards. It's like, yeah, but at which point he's made 80 yards, so right. who cares? Right. Uh, so, yeah, six six missed tackles forced by David Montgomery. That was kind of uh, what we expected. Anthony Miller finally showed up for once as well. That was nice. Yeah, I mean, again, I think that's the story of the, of the Bears season, right? It's like, all right, Alan Robinson, Taylor Gabriel, Anthony Miller. Hey, that looks like a pretty good trio. They add David Montgomery. They've got Tariq Cohen. It looks like they've got some playmakers to work with to help elevate Trubisky. They have a solid offense. And it was just solid across the board on the offensive line. We thought the defense is good. Even with some regression, they're still good. Like, that should be a good team. Yeah. Um, did you see? It? So the end of the game, right? They, they get themselves in position for a field goal. And they, they chose to kneel, right? Yes moving themselves, you know, into exactly where they want the field goal to go and killing the clock or not killing the clock, killing time off the clock so they could kick, walk off field goal, win the game. Everybody goes home happy. Only what happened was it's a Chicago kicker. So they missed the kick. Now, I don't know if those two yards that they gave up for the kneel would have been the difference between making that kick or not, but it was really close and they could have been. You don't have to lose yards when you kneel either. This is the thing. You can kneel for zero. A, they did. And B, the other thing is you could just run the ball and do the same thing, right? Um, I li- so people see- were talking about the risk there, though. They're not calling as many holding penalties right now. Uh-huh. And I'm not worried about fumbles. Like, that is, that's a one in a million shot. Yeah. The holding thing scares me a little bit, though. One Even hold and you're, like a, you're out. Yeah, but not on like a 
You Usually, be, you're not going to hold if you just you drive. You almost it never see a holding call on like a dive up the gut. No, that, that's true. You it's see those where forward. somebody bounces it, or right. it's, a, it's a zone play somewhere where there's right. space. Like when somebody is like third and one, somebody's just piling up the middle. I, I don't remember a holding call on one of those ever. Um, so I, I wouldn't be concerned about that either. But the point is, did you see how confrontational Manaki's getting after this stuff? Yeah. Where he's like, it's upset. Right. He's just immediately going, never thought about running it. Never thought, like, you're like, you know, maybe dial down how pissed off you're getting at other people because this is one of those scenarios where it does appear that you did something that wasn't that smart and it ended up costing you. Now, I have, last week I was pretty big in defending him in terms of, look, it isn't his fault. But when the daggers are already pointing in your direction, it's, Probably not a great idea to start antagonizing those people. I think we start to realize, too, just how difficult it is to be good year over year. Sure. Because you go from like, hey, he was he was a top five play caller last year as far as creating offense. They had the great defense. You know, he's, you know, Sean McVay was a hot name, too, that cooled off for a few games. And they're getting it's just it's a grind. Doug Peterson's losing games. We think he's a great coach. I mean, it's just it's difficult to win consistently. And it's definitely difficult to win consistently when you have one of the worst quarterback situations in the NFL. Yeah. So I think that's the bottom line for the Bears. Maybe Bears fans take it as a blessing in disguise because if you if you cheat your way, if you cheat your way to a ten and six season again behind poor quarterback play, maybe you maybe you never get it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean that's true. Um somebody asked me yesterday, and this was before the news came out that JJ Watt tore his peck and is done for the year. But they asked me, heading down the stretch, if you could choose between having the Bosa brothers or the Watt brothers on your defense, which would you have? Man, I like the way Nick Bosa's playing football right now. Which Joey was pretty freaking dominant as well in this game. That's what I'm saying. I like the Bosa's. So both those were pretty much wrecking That's great. No, but TJ's playing well, too. Recency bias, whatever TJ does tonight. Okay. Depends on that. Yeah, yeah he Joey. Hasn't, he hasn't played yet, so we could we could re- redress things. Joey had eight out of the 17 pressures from the Chargers. Yeah. Six defensive stomps, which is usually the kind of levels that, you know, linebackers get. Yeah. Defensive linemen are not supposed to get six, six defensive stops. Nick had that interception. Yeah. I right. love, I mean, I love an offensive li- defensive lineman. It's usually the best, most athletic defensive lineman that like beat the cut and have one of those batted pass slash interceptions. Mm-hmm. The best defensive linemen usually have one or two of those in their career where you're just like, man, that's a freakish play. Nick has his. And then with the ball in his hands, it's like it looked like a freaking running back. It's like put him and people stiff arming. I think he just got tired. Otherwise, he'd have actually got into the end zone. Put him in George Kittle in two tight end sets. <laughs> Kyle Shanahan. Yikes. Do it. All right. We'll talk about that in a minute. So Chargers staying alive here with the win. The Bears. Bowl. Everything about this is underwhelming. The underwhelming ball. 17-16 Chargers win. Uh in the NFC North, the Detroit Lions win thirty-one to twenty-six over the New York Giants. The Daniel Jones coaster continues. Overall, threw the ball well. Just you know, finds uh, new ways to turn the ball over every single week. He does. He puts the ball in harm's way as much as any quarterback in the NFL. Whether in it's this with one, fumbles, whether it's throwing to defenders. Here are the two. I believe is two turnover-worthy plays that he had in this one. He misread cover two. Tried to force one in there. Threw one up. Should have been a pick along the sideline. Tracy Walker falls out of bounds. He gets away with it. So no interception there. The other one, a little difficult. Quick game. He's 
his initial reads covered, but he's just slow. Uh, to me, he's just slow in the pocket sometimes. We have three at the moment. Was it three? Yeah. These are the two that I remember off the top of my head. Um, this fumble, this was quick game, and he's got to come off of it, and he knows he's going to get hit and still tries to throw it mm-hmm. back to his right and ends up essentially throwing it backwards for a fumble. So um, other than the turnover-worthy play, this is going to be like the weekly thing with Daniel Jones. He doesn't really miss a ton of throws. Um so here's why I think he's going to be so incredibly volatile week over week, right? Mm-hmm. He does a really nice job of giving his receivers opportunities to make plays in one-on-one coverage, which in our world, podcast done, by the way, we're yeah. done. in yeah. our world, just giving the receiver a chance to make a play, unless it's like perfect ball location, a lot of times it's like, all right, well, now you're dependent on the receiver. So like yesterday, his first touchdown is essentially a jump ball. Receiver does all the work. The second one, really nice, up and away from coverage. So he does a good job with that. He puts the ball in harm's way, which, you know, could lead to interceptions, could lead to a zero interception game. Never know. And then the fumbles and being slow to process at times in the pocket is just going to lead to this roller coaster of emotions. Yeah. All that said, still one of his better games. They put up 26 points and the defense was not good again for the Giants. Yeah. we've So we've kind of said before that highly volatile quarterbacks are actually kind of they're not bad, right? They're the things. If you want to choose between, so obviously everybody's shooting for an Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, great. In terms of a guy that makes an incredible amount of huge plays, barely ever puts the ball in harm's way, just generally is awesome, right? That guy is the guy that everybody wants a quarterback. Mahomes, same kind of thing. Russell Wilson uh, to a yeah, slightly. It's Brady, Peyton, Brees, right? It's, it's the all guys, guys, you know, it's the guys that make the high end plays, don't make the bad plays, and are generally consistent in between. Um, if you can't have that, the next best thing is a guy that's capable of making the big plays. It will come at the cost of some bad plays as well. And you hope that somewhere along the way they were going to run where they don't make as many bad plays and keep up with the good ones and everybody's happy. Right. Then you get down to, well, the guy's not going to make the big plays, but neither is he going to make bad plays. And you just have to scheme around that and hope that you can do enough outside of that to win. So whether it's a Matt Nagy scheming around last year's Trubisky, whether it's a Colts being good enough around, um, Jacoby Brissett to win anyway, et cetera, et cetera. But the point is having one of these highly volatile quarterbacks may be frustrating as hell, but it's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just understanding that you take the rough with the smooth. But since Daniel Jones came in to start, right, he ranks sixth in big time throws. So only five quarterbacks have made more big time throws than Daniel Jones so far uh, with 12. On the other hand, he is tied for the league lead with 16 turnover-worthy plays. So that's what, week three, four, five, six, seven, eight, five games, he's thrown six, or he's had 16 turnover-worthy plays. That is freaking monstrous. That's too many. It's more than three a game. Yeah. Um, and the guy he's tied with is Jameis, who is like the poster child for idiot plays alongside <laughs> massive, you know, big-time throws, etc. So, oh, he's also taken 24 sacks over that time, which is, as we say, quarterbacks essentially own their sack rate that is right. not really on the offensive line the guy who's i think that's the most in the nfl yeah guy who's second on that list or there's a few people tied for second Jameis and joe flacco two also notorious offensive line killing pocket presence sloths like that's articulating daniel jones in a nutshell he is he's Jameis winston he's Jameis winston who we also compared to eli manning oh so now i have to wait for daniel jones breakout yeah Daniel Jones one year will be an MVP 
Or yeah. just going to run like Eli Manning did and win a Super Bowl. In Honestly, our world, that's amazing because we actually did compare Jameis to Eli Manning extensively. We did. And, and I've, I've used those Josh are the Rosen, people he compares to. Josh Rosen, Eli Manning comps. Again, these highly volatile quarterbacks that, you know, you give them the good situation. So I'll make the excuse for Jones again. The situation's not good. I don't think the line is that bad. Um, Solder got wrecked yesterday. Trey Flowers gave you know, was a handful. I think the line has started to creep back toward average. They've started to do that. But, you know, Darius Slayton, even though he's got some big plays, he's got some big drops in there as well. I mean, he's thrown to Darius Slayton, Cody Latimer. We like Golden Tate. He's good. But it's not like he's sitting there with these incredible playmakers. Saquon did some nice things in the past game yesterday. Um, no, but Darius Slayton was out there wrecking Rashawn Melvin half the game. So like, his receivers are making plays for him at times. No, they are. They are. But this is uh, this is it. I mean, it's like if you're a G- Daniel Jones fan, just wait a minute. You'll be happy. And if you're a detractor, just wait a minute. You'll be happy. It's going to be the story of his career. On the other side, Matthew Stafford with five big-time throws. Just, you know, they had that creative um, flea flicker, throwback. He was he hit a bomb on a, on a corner route. I mean, he is, again, I just love watching Stafford play this year in particular because he's the guy that had volatility in his career early. They kind of, um, you know, reined him in a little bit for a few years didn't have him throwing the ball down the field as much but it always felt like man just just take the good with the bad and after a really bad misread early in the game for an interception after that he was dialed in yeah first game that deshaun hand has played this season as well dominant grade oh he looked like, really good batted pass he's pushing the pocket How? five-star recruit man why was he so crap at alabama five-star they can't coach it up at bama they don't develop guys i'm just i I can't think of a guy in recent memory who had such crappy college tape who was coming to the NFL and dominated that much. Can only happen with a five star. That's I just I'm consistently amazed by that. I don't understand what happened there. Trey Flowers with two sacks, five other pressures. Um, Jared Davis is just listen to this stat line at linebacker. Jared Davis's best attribute is rushing the passer. I mean, he absolutely destroyed Saquon on a rush at one point. So he had. He rushed the passer 15 times. Now, it's different. That's not a, being a pass rusher. That's blitzing. Right. He blitzed 15 times, had a sack, QB hit, three hurries. He's just in the backfield making things happen. As far as run defense and coverage goes, though, he missed four tackles and had a penalty and just negative grades across the board other than rushing the passer. This has kind of been the story of of Jared Davis's career at linebacker. It, it's tough to... Um, I mean, that's that's it this year. He's got a very good pass rush grade. Coverage and run defense is a disaster, and that's been since 2017. This is like what we talked about like with like Rashawn Evans coming out. All these guys that were converted pass rushers turned linebackers. Mm-hmm. Hey, there's a way to make use of them, but man, if they're not good against the run or in coverage, it's tough. If they miss that many tackles and miss that many assignments. This was another game that looked like it was going to get out of hand early and then became close again. And kind of got interesting by the end of it. There's just a whole bunch of weird games yesterday. I don't know if it's just because on paper they all sucked. So those kind of games seem to end up strange because yeah. there's no obvious, like, this is how it's going to go. Um, but this was another one of those games. Just this weird game flow throughout it. Well, I think with teams, you know, the, you know, the Lions trying to run the, run the clock out a little bit, the Giants did a nice job defensively against the run. David Mayo, Dexter Lawrence continues to play well. David Mayo, you say? Yeah. He's the best linebacker they've had in years. Oh, tell me about it. So, you know, if you can't run the clock out in the second half, 
the other team's going to keep chucking it. And before you know it, it's a five-point game. Mm-hmm. But the Lions escape 31-26. Let's go on to Jameis Mariota 2. Uh-huh. Which turned into Jameis Tannehill. Yeah, which is a good thing for the Titans because it meant they could actually win the game. Tannehill uh, chucking it around. Seriously, like doing Tannehill, a good job. It's, yeah, Tannehill is not great at all. But he is a demonstrable step up from what Mariota has been. He has been doing the things that Mariota wouldn't do. I got people bitching at me for not doing the hard T Mariota pronunciation the last podcast. No, it wasn't the podcast. I went, on, you? I went on Why Nashville is- Radio. That's what it was. Nashville Radio. And I didn't give it the hard Mariota. And people were upset. It's just Mariota. It's not. It's Mariota. Mariota? Yeah, yeah. It's a hard T. Got to give the hard T. Otherwise, the people get upset. Do you not remember the show? The I Sunday only pronounce starters' names. The Sunday Night Football that Chris did where they'd clearly been given yeah. like instructions. It is Mariota. And if you don't say it like that, you're going to be in trouble. See, I think people do that just to troll. Like, I, don't th- I think when they said Tyrod's name is Tyrod, mm-hmm. they were doing it just to mess everybody up on purpose, just to see how stupid they sounded. There's, there's a reasonable chance of that. They were probably in the locker room being like, yeah, say your name's Mario Ta and just I listen just, to them. So Mario Ta is fair enough on the basis that, look, that's a, a it's an unusual name that uh, nobody has a baseline for what that should be pronounced like, right? But like, how do we let things like Iron Eagle slide? Because like, oh, Ian my Eagle, my name is pronounced Iron. Yeah, but it's it's not. Because, your name is Ian. It's written down. It's the same. Like that's Ian. He had to change it because Ian Eagle is just so difficult and clunky to say. Well, that's not my fault. Ian Eagle. You can't say Ian Eagle. Why not? I love Ian. He's I'm great. just saying you can't like take a regular name and say, it's like you saying my name is pronounced Stev. But hmm. it's not. Your name is Steve. I can see it written down there. It is. It's not Stev. Yeah. You can't just determine that it is because you want it to be said that way. Can't do that. You kind of can. You can't. You, you can't can. take a name that is already pronounced a certain way and say, well, I've decided it's pronounced something different. Okay. But that makes you wrong, not everybody else. Anyway, I'm saying Mariota isn't like that, and we need to respect his wishes. So Mariota has been upgraded upon by putting Ryan Tannehill in the offense. So the one thing I did say about Tannehill through the years, the same thing I said about Sam Bradford, I would be curious to see if he could have some, you know, some high-end play with some good playmakers. In Tennessee... Also a system, right? Yeah, I mean, I don't know if the system was a disaster. Look, I, ultimately, I think, I think Tannehill is who he is. I don't want to sit here and tell you he's just going to have this massive breakout year uh, after after no. two solid games. But this is probably the this this is probably the best group of playmakers on paper that Tennessee has had over the last couple of years. But the, and that was you know assuming AJ Brown really developed, assuming Corey Davis was a little bit better as a number two type of option, and Tajay Sharp and a couple tight ends to throw to. It's a lot of is it. It's a lucky team that has a Hall of Famer as a number two receiver. I know, right? That's how good they are. Um, Adam Humphreys in there now. Deion Lewis to throw to. I mean, so it, it should have been better for mm-hmm. Mario Ta. Yes. And this that's why, why I think Tannehill's taking advantage. This is why he had to be sat down. Corey Davis had two catches for nine yards and six targets. That's not great. Yeah, I didn't love that. Um, <laughs> we have Jameis playing a lot better than his stats. Bruce Arians essentially absolved him of his two interceptions one of them was a you know was a late force to a to a route that's usually not thrown in that uh, concept but with like 26 26 seconds left in the game which one is that one dagger route yeah that he had to kind of chuck up a little bit uh, another one was a wrong route i believe so he had his usual game like here's some 
here's some productive passes, be, you know, beyond the sticks. Here's some misses in it, you know, um, kind of landed it ugly. Where I was going with the Tannehill thing, though, is that he's the type of player, I think, that, you know, if you have so a Matt Nagy situation in Chicago, right? It's Trubisky now sucks. We need to do something. Even if he's still in the building next year, we need to get viable competition where the whole thing is screwed. But we don't have any draft picks to play with anymore. We've got a couple of second rounders and a, you know, a few lower round picks. We don't have the first round pick to go after the next Trubisky. We have to make something else happen. So now you're looking at these NFL retreads and saying, all right, which is the best option to take another swing at? With the understanding that I have reasonable receivers, I have some weaponry, and I have a system that is proven to be quarterback-friendly if I have a quarterback capable of executing it. Trubisky isn't, so who's the next guy, right? And I think Teddy Bridgewater has put himself in that kind of conversation with how he's played for the Saints. I wouldn't want him in Chicago. Whatever. I think Tannehill is a quarterback that actually makes a lot of sense in that kind of system where it's like, all right, we know he's limited. He's not great, but... He, he does have skills that can take advantage of a beneficial quarterback situation. Or perhaps the point I'm trying to make is that given a beneficial quarterback situation, Tannehill would look better in it than an equivalent talented quarterback with a different skill set. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like Sam Bradford? Yeah. So Sam Bradford or apparently Teddy Bridgewater. Bridgewater, I would just be... You don't want him thrown outside. That's it, right? Well, I mean, he's. I think he's been a little... Look, he's played well. Just say that's it. That's what, you're, that's what you're saying. He's played well. You're scared of Teddy throwing outside in the cold. Am I on? Would you stop messing with the wires? I can't move. No. I'll just sit here frozen the yes. whole time with no Don't movement. Don't move. Don't mess with the equipment. It's sensitive. We live in a we live in a world that has zero nuance. Uh-huh. So let so me how try. How many to, words are you going to try and spin around the fact that you don't want Teddy throwing outside? Let in the me cold? bring a little nuance to the table here. Last night we saw Matt Moore have success in the Kansas City Chiefs scheme, where Patrick Mahomes also has success, Mm -hmm. where Alex Smith also led the league in passer rating Mm -hmm. two years ago. We saw Teddy Bridgewater have success in the same system Sean Payton, Drew Brees. Drew Brees has had success in, right? We've seen Tom Brady not play games where the Patriots still win. None of those things mean or take anything away from Mahomes, Brees, or Brady, right? Like, they can still be great, and the backup can also come in and do some good things. So Bridgewater came in, a bunch of dome games played well, Peyton scheming it up, some yards after the catch. Then he started to make some throws. Teddy was did well in a favorable situation, I think. Okay. I I think the dome stuff probably helps him a little bit. I don't know if I do fully trust him in Chicago. I mean, Tannehill, kind of the same thing. Maybe I'm over. You know, he played outdoors in Chicago before, like when he was the Vikings quarterback. Yeah. How do you do that? He did well last week against them. But I don't I think I'm not concerned about it. It's not every game. I'm just it's not even that like I don't trust him in Chicago. I just think anything in a dome inflates things just a little bit. (laughs) That's all. It inflates things a little bit. It, It inflates perception. I'm bragging about Daniel Jones chucking it well yesterday and Matthew Stafford in a dome. It inflates everything. The comfort level that quarterbacks have and the ease that they throw the ball with versus guys that just had to deal with some wind and some rain or anything. It's just it is it's a night and day difference. It does factor in. Anyway, good job by Tannehill. Yes. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm just saying that I think Tannehill is is legitimately sort of putting himself back in the shop window for teams that are going to need to go, oh, yeah. go the NFL quarterback retread route as opposed to draft. I'd solution. be all for it. I'd be, I'd be trying to 
steal a guy like Tannehill. I think there are other Tannehill-esque type of players. Maybe Tyrod's a guy like that. Like I would just stash those guys on my roster Yeah. Um, because I think there's more of them now than there ever were. Well, also, if you don't have a, you know, if you don't have an Aaron Rodgers, like you can have, you essentially have a lot of money to be able to platoon those guys. Like if you wanted to get Teddy Bridgewater, Tyra Taylor, and a, you know, second round rookie, it would cost you a moderate amount of money. Yeah. Like you wouldn't be in the hole in terms of quarterback salaries. Now there would be a question as to whether one of those guys would sign on with the other one already there, but like it's doable. Yeah, I just think those guys also have to be realistic about where the NFL is right now. Yeah, but they also, I mean, they have the ability to essentially choose their destination in terms of what gives me the best chance of getting a starting gig. I would I would sign Sam Bradford and make him a star. Huh. Okay. That's what I would do. Jeffrey Simmons played again, wasn't as good as he was before, but still looks good. Yeah. Defense played, um, defense graded really well overall for yeah, Tennessee. across the board. Yep. All right, let's go to London. God, London Rams 24 Bengals 10. Another one that could have been, I mean, it was 24 to 10 or Rams scored 24 quickly. Oh my God. Have you seen Billy Price's grade? No. Dude, it's terrible. Yikes. It's not like, you know, I mean, I could find it too, but it's cooler if I look at the final number isn't confirmed yet, but oh gosh, that's one of the worst that we've ever seen. Yes. That's what I'm saying. Oh man. That is one of the worst grades of the week. Let me all Aaron. I mean, wow. There's a reason this guy got benched. Sorry, we're just looking at grades. It's not all Aaron. Billy Price's grade right now is an unconfirmed 35 with a 25 pass blocking grade. That high, huh? Yeah. Not good, Bob. Not good. Look at Obo Okarakwa. Oh, wait, hang on. No, that's for the season. My bad. Wait, wait, wait. That's a season grade. Can you filter this? I'm on it. I'm on it. I'm on it. I'm on it. It's going to be single digits. I'm I'm moving. Anyway, Obo Okarakwa. Oh, boy, you say. How about him? Career high, 29 snaps. One of those undersized rushers coming out oh, no. the last couple of years. Billy two Price sacks, this hurts. week is, in fact, the worst graded player of the week uh, with a 22.6 grade with, <laughs> with a pass blocking grade of 1.6. Huh. <laughs> Not, great. <laughs> Not great. Not great. Not great at all. Um, bad, you might say. Yeah. They're still playing John Jerry at left tackle. This is just depressing. What's amazing is this this game wasn't completely out of control. I know. Like way earlier. Like this, this is Goff was dropping some dimes in there, and then he had a couple bad decisions later. Cooper Cup making a ton of big plays, but the Bengals kind of hung around. Yeah. Nothing sums up the Bengals this season more than, you know, Cooper Cup catching a this kind of out and up uh, like uh, wheel thing. And then all it does is the camera pans over to see a Bengals DB lying on the floor, <laughs> scrambling to get back to his feet. His cup runs down the sideline for a touchdown. Like, yeah, that pretty much that pretty much sums it up. That's not great. Updating, though, the players from the Bengals putting themselves in the trade shop window. Geno Atkins had a good game. Uh, Carlos Dunlap. They're not trading Geno Atkins. I'm just saying, look, there are people that want to get the hell out of Dodge, and they need to make themselves available let's celebrate carlos dunlap for a second look at that career good career look at that he's been a good player i mean he's just been a good run defender a good pass rusher just a good solid every down defensive end plays about 80 percent of the snaps year over year he had another nice game yesterday this is one of those games where the rams you know they win it pretty easily the o-line still not great and you know, you still have, I think I still have the same concerns I have about their O-line. 
Yeah, I mean, look, the Bengals teams. are legitimately maybe the worst team in the NFL. And if you struggle to beat them, that's not a ringing endorsement of your team. I still don't, I don't think they're as bad as the Dolphins. Well, I maybe, arguably, they are. Look, the Dolphins are actively trying to tank for the previous, for the next season or two. To be even in the conversation with them, you suck. So the Bengals are terrible. And if you labored past them, even in London, it's not a good sign. So still some concerns with the Rams. Yes. Anything else about this game? No. No. Ryan Finley time? We, I mean, we said it was before. It's still. Yeah. It's yeah, not a. Why not? It's not a knock on Andy Dalton. It's just got a pretty good feeling what Andy Dalton right, is. We know what he is. We don't know what Finley and, is. So put him in. So real quick. Same conversation you just had about Ryan Tannehill. Is Andy Dalton that same guy? I mean, so Dalton's interesting because we know that in a perfectly conventional system with really good sort of receivers and a decent offensive line, he can look good. But I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I don't know what he does in a system like the Nagy, Peterson, Andy Reid sort of tree. I don't know whether that massively think, helps him versus guys like Tannehill. And I think the, the thing that's always separated Dalton – Tannehill and Sam Bradford those guys are similar in my mind in that just throwing the ball on air or just throwing the ball in general tight spiral accurate those guys are accurate I mean they throw the ball pretty accurately for the most part all three guys they just lack just some natural passing instincts I mean this is why the idiots that are gonna that are gonna call Mahomes a system quarterback like somebody's gonna do that an unnuanced take that says Mahomes is a system quarterback because Matt Moore had good stats, which he did, right? Where Matt Mahomes' stats are absolutely inflated by the system, and then he's also special at the same time. I mean, these guys, Dalton, Tannehill, Bradford types, just don't have that special next-level playmaking, take over the game, so they could produce in the perfect ecosystem, which is, you know, which is when you have a Bears-type defense and the nice system, which is valuable, but you can't really expect them to go take over a whole bunch of games. Yeah, Dalton's interesting because it's very hard to identify exactly what it is he's missing that, that's preventing him from being really good, right? Because if I think I just at, highlighted it. I think I just told you what it is. Yeah, but it's a very difficult thing to actually sort of pin down and point to, right? It's He doesn't make enough sort of special over and above plays that some of these other guys do. But if you, But what exactly is that, right? It's yeah, just making more plays. Yes, but so I, I listened at some point to a radio hit of Alex Van Pelt talking about him. Right now, just running through Alex Van Pelt's history, he I think was a backup to Jim Kelly, or was it Joe Montana? One of the two. Was Jim Kelly. He was in Buffalo. Yes, yeah, so it was a backup to Jim Kelly. Worked with Joe Montana, Aaron Rodgers. May have been a backup to both those guys actually, and then was a quarterback coach or whatever to right. Aaron Rodgers. Now he's in Cincinnati working with Andy Dalton. And he was like, Andy Dalton has the best mechanics of any quarterback I've ever seen, right? So immediately now we're comparing him to three Hall of Famers. Right. And apparently he's coming out on top. Also, his knowledge of the game is as good as anybody I've ever seen. And there was something else that was like as good as anybody ever, right? You're like, you've identified three of the most important things to being a quarterback. And apparently they stack up with three Hall of Famers, which begs the question, what does he absolutely suck at? That means he's only an average quarterback at best. Because if those three things yeah. are at the level of Montana, Jim Kelly, and Aaron Rodgers, he must be horrendous at something that's pulling that back down and equalizing it. I've heard people describe Alex Smith the same way. 
I mean, it's like not necessarily the mechanics, but like has all the throws and is just a genius. Right. Pre-snap. He got, I mean, he... But like, he takes, but they take too many sacks. Alex There's, Smith's like Wonderlake was off the charts, right? Yeah. Like he, he's but a like, smart person. But he, like coaches were blown away by his knowledge before the draft and yeah. all that stuff. But there is something as far as pocket presence, pocket movement, playmaking. I, I mean, mean, we know what his problem is, right? He was pathologically conservative. He could do everything, just wouldn't. So, like, his issue, like, they finally kind of fixed Alex Smith in that final year in Kansas City where he just thought, you know what, screw it. I'm just going to start throwing the ball if I see single coverage. Yeah. It suddenly turns into a guy that leads the league in passer rating. Now, even then, he still wasn't making enough of those big-time throws to make him one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. But he went from being an irritatingly flawed guy to, you know, this guy's actually pretty good. Yeah. Um, so that was like that was easy, right? Okay, he's good at all this other stuff. This is what he sucks at, and this is actually enough to make him just average at best. He still lacked some of that pocket feel and took too many sacks, that type of thing, too, though. Sure, but what is Dalton's like Achilles' heel that means all those other things that should be the best ever don't matter? Best mechanics really don't even matter, though. <laughs> like it doesn't even I mean, matter. It stops you doing whatever. The Nobody hell even knows what good does. The guy that has the best mechanics is the guy that throws the ball accurately the most. That's it. Yeah, whatever. That's what mechanics are. Mechanics are a series of movements that allow you to throw the ball on time, accurately, with enough velocity, the right velocity and touch. That's what mechanics are. This is how I studied people. This baseball all the time. Oh, this guy's got great mechanics. What does it matter? It doesn't matter. This guy's got bad. Nobody knows what good mechanics are because they think it's aesthetically pleasing. Philip Rivers has good mechanics through the years. Funky, but good mechanics because he throws the ball accurately with the right amount of zip on the ball more often than not. Therefore, the mechanics are good. Christian Hackenberg was, was said to have good mechanics, which is impossible when you're that inaccurate. Because the yeah. point of mechanics is to get your release point at the right spots to throw the ball accurately. If you're not doing that, something's wrong mechanically. So I would agree with that part. I don't know if I would agree with the concept that Rivers that the end justifies the means. But that's that's what that's in throwing that's what it is essentially. Mm, I still don't know that because no because people think unorthodox means bad. Yeah. Now now there's a difference between Philip Rivers does it like this and I'm going to go take my 4-year-old and teach him to throw it like him. Yeah. There is there are there's like a reason people don't do that. Right, but for Philip Rivers because it's fundamentally worse now it doesn't mean a guy can't make it work so i guess the, the point would be there's no way of being sure that philip rivers having the philip rivers if he'd been taught a conventional perfect set of mechanics wouldn't be a dramatically better quarterback than he is right now with his shot putt system now it doesn't mean he isn't really good with his shot putt system but there's no way of saying that that isn't inherently better doing it the way that everyone thinks is the conventional better way of doing it which would be the argument i so the things that are consistent in good throwers are things that people can't see with the naked eye. So it's like hip and shoulder separation, which is, you know, when your hips are open and your arm is still back and different things like that. It's, it's consistent. It's, it's what happens in all throwers. And, and I would imagine Philip Rivers is good at all that stuff. Cause that's how he creates torque or has through the years. We could spend an hour talking yeah. about, but it'll be like mechanics and all that yeah, stuff. You really are just like a bull in a china shop. Well, yeah, I won the award last year. Bull yeah. in a china shop award. But it's like Jim Furyk's golf swing, right? Like there's no way of telling that if he actually had, you know, if he had a 
regular, I don't know who has the most aesthetically. The goal is to do a bunch swing. of movements yeah, yeah. so that by the time you hit the ball, you hit the ball powerfully so and accurately. obviously makes it work doing that, but there's no way there's no way of proving that that's, he wouldn't be better if he did it the way everyone else does it. Here's how, here's how I would describe it, though. There are probably things in Jim Furyk's swing and Philip Rivers' throwing motion where if he asked any old Joe to do that, it would be difficult for them to get to the ball sure. or to get the ball to where it needs to Possibly. go. However, for those particular humans, yeah, they have good mechanics because they get to where they need like to the get The three to. points in that motion that actually mean anything, they're exactly the same yeah. in those three points. But I, but I think it's equally possible that they're doing something fundamentally in a worse way, and they just happen to be good enough at doing it that it doesn't matter. Who knew we were going to talk about Andy Dalton and throw it mechanics anyway, this much? Cardinals and the Saints. This was a close game for a while, and then the Saints, they're a better team. They just kind of ran away at the end. Oh, we've got some we got some breaking news here. Uh huh. Free Kenyon Drake has happened. They freed him. Kenyon Drake has been traded to the Arizona Cardinals, where he can, according be, to my sources, in yeah. my ear, where he can. I don't again, know who the real source is. Where he can again be buried on somebody's death yard, though not for the not for the short term at least, because Chase Edmonds got hurt, right? So they were. Well, down, this is they this were down is like good. Zach Zenner. This is good because I think Arizona, at their best, has shown creativity with their running backs, taking David Johnson, throwing him in the slot, throwing verticals to him. Adam Schefter reporting a conditional pick. Yeah, not a ringing endorsement for Kenyon Drake. Conditional pick. That's like, yeah, we'll take him off your hands, but we're not not in love with him. Oh, he's worth a shot with Um, Arizona here. Yeah, I mean, a short-term guy, because I think Edmonds got hurt yesterday and wasn't playing well even before he did. They were down to Zach Zenner for half that game. Um uh, David Johnson was hurt going into the game, yeah. so he didn't play at all. Uh, he like Kenny Drake could carve himself a role in that offense with a, with a bit of an opportunity. He's yeah, a good player. I agree, absolutely. Um, so obviously the story of this game, though. So good job, Kenyon Drake. We've uh, you liked him quite a bit coming out of Alabama. Mm-hmm. What was your uh, prediction for Kenyon Drake? That he is the he would be the better pro of that Alabama backfield that was Kenyon Drake and Derrick Henry. Didn't they have, did they have someone else at that point? But anyway, those two was the point. Derrick Henry was running for like a million yards straight up the middle with our, our Alabama's dominant offensive line. And I was like, look, Kenyon Drake is a better pro because he's a better receiver. He can, you know, he can do more things. You've been wrong so far, pretty much. I mean, there was a point where it looked promising for you. Yeah. Injuries have been his biggest problem, to be honest. And the fact that, you know, Miami has been a disaster. Look, if we're yeah, but he about- also hasn't endeared himself to multi- multiple coaching staffs yet. Yeah, but look at the coaching staffs. I mean, if we're talking about running backs being a product of their environment, Miami's environment is a cesspool right now. Yeah, they've had probably the worst run blocking unit over the last, not just this year, but like right. three straight Whereas, years. you know, Tennessee have had a reasonable offensive line for most of that time, and Derrick Henry's had a much better uh, situation. Look, Kenyon Drake has made, you know, a hell of a lot of plays as well. Miami Miracle, etc. Yep. Um, I think in a better system and honestly this is not a dramatically better system in arizona but in the right system he would he would look very good i don't know if he'd look better than derrick henry but i, I think he'll get some opportunities i still here. think that's viable i think he'll get to use his athleticism they'll get him into space a little bit well that's what they should be doing yeah yeah i'm intrigued by this and isabella with a whole snap yeah so the uh the story of this game obviously drew Brees makes his return for the saints um you know, he just, it looked like classic Drew Brees. He did force one pass for an interception, but after that, it was just uh, short stuff, hit it over and over and over again. Um, 
accuracy, quick decisions. I mean, it just looked like the old Saints offense. It also looked like, you know, the game was closer than expected, but even in the fourth quarter when it started to get out of hand, they're still throwing the ball a little bit, trying to find their rhythm. Late touchdown to Michael Thomas. So he ended up ends up with three touchdowns to go with that one pick. Completes 34 of 43 for 373. Kind of a classic Breeze game here. Yeah, he looked good. Um, I didn't. I think he looked better than the rust that we maybe were anticipating. I think we saw some signs of it early. Um, I think this was a good matchup for him, though, too. Like they again, I feel like people have said this about Breeze and Brady through the years. They, they're act, They could throw the ball down the field, all right, but it's like you probably want them taking more chances down the field because up to 15 yards they'll they'll pick you apart if you have opportunities there this felt like a pretty good matchup where the cardinals were playing some zone and giving us some opportunities the saints really schemed it up well too they had a couple wide open wheel routes to Taysom hill and other uh josh hill i mean they were just classic peyton and breeze and they tore them up mm-hmm. look look smooth other than again that that one force uh, into coverage, Patrick Peterson with a really nice interception on that play. Um, are the Saints the best team in the NFC? Uh, I mean, they're one of the the NFC is still such a like it, it's so tough at the top. There are a lot of really good teams. The Packers won, the Saints won. Um, I don't think the Vikings are among the best team, but they keep they're still winning. Um, you just hate the way that they're winning. I I just don't think it's sustainable. I mean, I think the Vikings are a team that will win big or win against not great teams but when they come up against the best teams in the in the conference it's not going to go so well and they're going to i don't want to say get found out but they're going to hit their level right there are levels to this things this thing there are the very best teams in the nfl and then there are teams that look good but when they play the very best teams in the nfl get found wanting i suspect that's where minnesota are this year uh, for the saints chauncey gardner johnson fourth round pick out of florida playing in the slot the last couple of weeks playing extremely well has three pass breakups he's given up listen to this one sam he's given up 10 catches into his coverage and again we assign coverage on every single play so screens kind of get assigned to the um to the player that's playing the flat but he's given up 10 catches for 29 yards over the last two weeks so that's why the grade's really good despite giving up 10 catches it's all underneath stuff and he's not allowing many yards after the catch into his coverage. So just something to keep an eye on where the Saints always seem like it's like, yeah, it's Marshawn Lattimore and the up and down Eli Apple and what are they going to do in the slot? Well, CGJ. God, that's clunky. Yeah, it's really clunky. That's what people are using no, during draft. During draft season, CGJ has been playing well. God, that's one that only works on paper in recent weeks. All right, I'll just I'll draw it out. You could. You could write it, remember? Saints win 31-9. to nine. All right. New York Jets at the Jacksonville Jaguars. 29-15. to 15. Jaguars win. Minshew. Magic is back. Yes. Which is good because so is Nick Foles. Um, so now they have kind of kind of interesting decision to make. Um, and this is one that he, like, he played well when not that many other people played well. Like the offensive line wasn't particularly good. Ooh, Cam Robinson got smoked a couple times. Yes. DJ Chark made some plays, but it's basically just those two. A couple uh, drops in there um, from his guys. This was, I talked last week, it seemed like Minshew was was leaving some pockets and stuff like that a little bit early. He's, it's still he, his biggest problem. It is. I mean, so he still had another fumble that he could have avoided, um, but he also made some plays outside the pocket in this one. And you know what, man? He just makes. You take out you can't take out the fumbles, but there's other times where he just throws with incredible anticipation mm-hmm. 
and you're watching you know, Sam Darnold had a rough go of it as far as his supporting cast yesterday. But it's tough to watch these guys side by side and say, okay, they're they're very similar, to be honest. Darnold and Minshew. It's like, oh, here's a good throw with anticipation. They're, they're going like play for play where a lot of things look similar. But I think what I thought Darnold had outside the pocket and you know that playmaking magic that he showed at USC like that's what Minshew's showed in the NFL and that's been the difference between say just comparing those two quarterbacks so far yeah and I think there's also something to like they're almost it's a good case study in how the things that I don't think necessarily mean a lot can lead people astray like if you watch the tape both guys you would probably come to the conclusion that Minshew is a significantly better quarterback but you look at Darnold and he's a bit taller. He doesn't have, you know, the mustache. He looks more conventional, you know, NFL quarterback poster child coming out, right? Um, plus, he's got the youth thing on his side. So it's, well, if he's this good at this age, he'll get better and yada, yada, yada. Whereas Minshew is the sort of, it, he has a worse story, right? He's the old guy who had to transfer, gets one year with the Mike Leach system, blah, blah, blah. Everything is working against him. So tape-wise, you say, well, this guy's better, but everything else makes you lean towards the other guy. And then consequently, that that puts you in this sort of spiral of, well, he's the first-round pick. We give him an endless amount of rope. This guy's a six-round pick, so he needs to keep proving himself week after week. Um, it's just I don't, the I don't kind of interesting ends of the, two different stories. I don't completely agree with that, though, because I think – Darnold's two years of tape at USC, and if you compare that to two years of Minshew at East Carolina and Washington State, Darnold's tape's better, and his PFF grade's better. Minshew's peak season at Washington State was was better than yeah. the two seasons that Darnold put together, but still, I think the bigger sample size there isn't that Minshew's got better better tape. He does in the NFL this year, obviously. And the other thing I would say, too, I don't know what would have happened uh, to me, this stuff's meaningful. I don't know what would have happened with Nick Foles, but the story for us coming into the season was this is going to be tough for Nick Foles. He's thrown to D.D. Westbrook, Chris Conley, D.J. Chark, a bunch of just, you know, up. you know, they're just they were having major problems. The Niners on the other side of the ball, dominant run blocking effort. Yes. They were get they got career games from Lakin Tomlinson at left guard. And Daniel Brunskill, who I've talked about a little bit on here, former tight end from San Diego State, filling in at right tackle for veteran Mike McGlinchey. Career games from both of those guys. The Niners just have it going up front as far as just just winning at the point of attack, but also adding creativity, misdirection. A lot of the stuff that people said about... Like, I don't think anybody's forgotten that Kyle Shanahan's a great play caller. Um, I think when you have C.J. Beathard... Here's the thing. The last couple of years, he's made C.J. Beathard, who I didn't, I think was just a career backup and never should have really started any games. He made him look reasonable. He made Nick Mullins look good. Another backup type. So while Kyle Shanahan, may, maybe people forgot over the last couple of years because the Niners were losing. Mm-hmm. But man, he can call plays. Yeah. And set up his quarterback and entire offense for success. He's it doing is it right now. It's an incredibly good system. Um, and. It's we kind of got this answer of you know what it looks like with a viable wide receiver out there. Emmanuel Sanders made some plays, but the teeth of this offense is still George Kittle um, and the run game, and that 
Emmanuel Sanders just sort of adds a dimension to it, makes it even more dangerous. Um, but yeah, this is a really good system. It's one of the most favorable quarterback systems in the NFL. We still really haven't seen Jimmy Garoppolo play his best stuff, and yet they are they're crushing people because everything else is working great. Yeah, Garoppolo has been good, not great. Had a bad pick that um, just threw late. I, I was on NFL Network highlighting the uh, the matchup to matchups to watch. Mm-hmm. George Kittle versus Luke Keekley. Yeah, was one of them that I mentioned. Keekley had that interception early to kind of. Maybe keep it close for like a minute, but the Niners just overwhelmed the Panthers. This is another game much like the Josh Jacobs one last week. That's sort of the running back value thing. Christian McCaffrey has 155 yards. Could not have mattered less because Kyle Allen got wrecked. I disagree with your Josh Jacobs take from last week, by the way. How? They still scored 24. It was just the defense was bad. Yeah. Consequently, it couldn't have mattered less that the running back had the game of his life. Yeah, but if you're going to evaluate the offense, it's still somewhat based upon like also 24 points output. is not amazing. Right? People scoring 24 not, points and struggling efforts. There were better examples like Mitchell Saquon Bar- scored 25. Saquon last, last year rushing for like 150 and they score 10. Like that, you had much better examples. This is a good example. Whatever. The Where MVP Christian McCaffrey cannot right. carry the offense. Left where the rest right. of the offense is a disaster. Running backs can have the game of their lives, and it just doesn't matter in today's NFL. Quarterback yeah, has the game of his life. This is a good example. Last week was not. There is almost never a scenario whereby the quarterback has the game of his life, and they're not even close to winning. It just doesn't happen. Unless they take the ball out of Russell Wilson's hands. Yeah, <laughs> which is very difficult to yeah. do for most teams. Whereas here, what we see, Kyle Allen has been good for most of this year. Kyle Allen was awful this week had consequently they get blown out of the water and they're never even in the running regardless of what MVP candidate Christian McCaffrey did Kyle Allen's passer rating dropped like 20 points or something like that I think <laughs> I mean it was a fake 107 whatever it was yeah it was fake it just regressed into what it needed to be which is like 88 so Kyle Allen I mean does this does this completely change the Cam Newton conversation one yes. game yeah I mean anyone that said that this was a you know real conversation do they move on from cam newton do they is kyle allen yes that completely changes um his passer rating numbers were kind of amazing no pressure passer rating at 31.7 while pressure 39.6 which is the same as an incompletion the exact same um when not blitzed 21 good news is on the four times they blitzed him he had a passer rating of 98 so there you go don't blitz josh kyle allen i almost said josh yeah all right yeah, Indianapolis bad. Colts 15 Denver Broncos 13 I was I was drumming up the takes during this one all right yeah. this is I don't know, maybe we've overrated the Colts and Jacoby Brissett is just unable to carry the team and I look I don't think Brissett's great he's played pretty well he's played okay this year not as well as the stats would have showed but man what a spectacular play avoiding a sack yeah and making the play down the field which on, on the game which essentially was the game winning drive right to go up 15 to 13 and then on the other side joe flacco showing um can we, a lot of frustration can we talk joe flacco for a minute because this is beautiful yeah joe flacco his single biggest defining characteristic is being utterly oblivious in the pocket to anything that's happening around him, right? We talked about it before. Joe Flacco is just a guy taking a drive in a hurricane, completely unaware there's like cows and trees and stuff flying around him. Maybe it works out. Maybe he gets impaled in the face by a cow. Um, That's what he is. (laughs) What what is amazing to me is that apparently he's that guy off the field as well. 
He took zero self-awareness at all. So we come out of this game and Joe Flacco starts lighting up the coaching staff for being too conservative, being afraid to win, not wanting to go for it. Do you not understand that they are that way because you're Joe Flacco? They're not like inherently conservative and afraid to go for it by nature. They're that way because you're their quarterback, you muppet. Like, how can you be that self-unaware? Uh, it's just like, what? He's the same guy off the field as he is in the pocket. And that's incredible to me. That's my favorite thing that's happened in 2019. The Joe Flacco apparently is equally unaware of what is happening around him off the field as he is on it. That's what I got today. What do you think? Well said. <laughs> uh, I... um. God, I hope I would love to be in the next meeting that they have where they're like, <laughs> Big Fangio pulls up the PowerPoint and it's like, Joe, here's what the story is. Here are the good NFL quarterbacks. <laughs> Here you are. For everybody above this line, everybody this way up, where's the pen? Anybody from there upwards, we can be aggressive with. You are here. <laughs> so we have to play the game like a coward. Ah. <sighs> Well, then the final play was like, sums that up, right? <laughs> so the final play, they've got like 20 seconds. You got to mm-hmm. buy some time and get the ball. But you can't buy eight <laughs> seconds. You have to buy some time to let guys get down the field. So Joe's like drops back, avoids a little pressure, mm-hmm. steps through the pocket, yep. steps out of the pocket. Yep. And then the hourglass is still going. He's yep. like, I got time. Mm-hmm. I got time. And then he gets smoked from behind for the... Um, <laughs> For the strip sack to It's to one end of those plays where, you know, they talk about quarterbacks having the clock in their head, and at some point the alarm goes off, and you can actually see them during plays start to panic. Where even when there's not pressure, right, you can literally see that moment go in their brain where they're like, uh oh, something's yeah. coming. Yeah. This is the time where it always comes. Flacco, like, navigates it, and then just that never even occurs to him. He's just the, like, the clock oh, in his head is. I'm a- sure I'm good now. The clock in his head is a 40-second play clock is what the problem is. He's got the wrong clock in his head. It's just, it's just like he got out of the first wave of trouble. It's like, I'm sure that's the only problem that can happen on this play. I don't see why there would be any further issues. And then, boom, flattened from behind because, again, man in a hurricane. That was the cow flying through his windscreen and burying him in the head. <sighs> yeah, it's not great. Anyway, so because of that, the Colts won. Denver didn't. The Colts survive. I think. Look, the the Colts aren't. Brissett is not Trubisky. No. But they're winning. I'd say more despite him than because of him. Yeah, I'd agree with that. That's one week removed from him having an excellent game. Yeah. Against um, Houston in a in a big division battle, but coming coming into the year, we were talking about Jacoby Brissett as maybe being the best backup quarterback in the NFL. And what he would do is is sort of provide an interesting test for where that lands you in the scope of like starting quarterbacks, right? Because there's probably some overlap there, right? Those bottom sure. five or six guys are kind of interchangeable. So if you're the best backup in the NFL, how far up that list does that put you? And the answer is probably not that high, right? You can you can start, and in a good situation, you can win some games, and you can have some good games. But by and large, you're probably below. You know, you're not good. Mm-hmm. That's kind of what Brissett is. He's taken steps forward this year. He's not doing as many of the boneheaded things he used to do the last time he was starting. He's had some good games, 
But by and large, he's not going to be the reason this team wins games. They're going like they're going to need to win in spite of him, if you like, or with other things, and him just not screwing it up. And that's been successful largely. But yeah, you can't hide from the fact that he's not, you know, particularly good. Yeah. So he wasn't great yesterday outside of that spectacular play on the game-winning drive. Tons of credit for that. But this is like. I'm using the same descriptor as Trubisky. Yes. The difference was Trubisky's kicker missed a field goal. Right. Again, Brissett's grades have been better than Trubisky's, just for clarity. And the difference between that and a, you know, a uh, Deshaun Watson is that he's doing it regularly. Oh, right. Right. Exactly. We can expect that from Watson. Watson pulls it out of fire, but he's not doing it every single time that situation arises, which... Watson pretty much is. Watson's a big time throw machine. Brissett is is the opposite of that. Um, So where week five... At Kansas City, they won thirteen to ten. Brissett was terrible. Bad red zone interception in there. Last week was good. Or, you know, they come off the bye. Last week was good. Division game against Houston. This week, not good. This has been the story of Brissett's season, despite some pretty good stats. To me, that's just something to keep an eye on because we got to be fair. Something kind of awesome about Vinatieri basically forgetting how to kick and then coming out there and still you nailing were like the clutch. Calling him, you were saying he was retiring and all this stuff? You were just way I, off. I'm pretty certain he was very close to retiring, and people call, talked him out of it. And even in this game, he missed an extra point again, right? Um, I was wondering, like, how close do they need to get? This old man and all that kick. stuff. What was it, like a 51-yarder? To- right. They, but then, so, like, even in this game, he still looks like he's kind of forgotten how to kick the ball. Comes out there, game on the line, like, Nailed it. long kick. You know, just you may forget how to kick. You don't forget how to be clutch, Steve. That's the bottom line with <laughs> Vinatieri. Look, this is the man that won Brady all the Super Bowls, so he's not going to forget how to get that done in crunch time. Stop it. That was pretty good. Colts yeah, survive. They do. 15-13. to 13. Speaking of Brady and the Patriots, 27-13 <sighs> over the Browns. God, this game was just like, this should have been a close game. Oh, I thought New England felt like they were winning by 100. Well, they did because the Browns had, what was it, three consecutive snaps where they turned the ball over? Yeah. But, like, their defense actually did a really good job holding the Patriots for a lot of this game. Now it was, you know, rainy and blah, blah, blah. But their defense did a pretty good job, particularly when you factor in the fact that their offense kept, like, taking a bazooka to their own feet every two seconds. Um, Three consecutive snaps. Of of turnovers, right? Two Chubb fumbles and a Baker interception. Right. So one of them was like a giant breakaway run by Nick Chubb, and that honestly, that was the worst of the ones in terms of like just idiot. Like he should have known better than that. The guy's running away. He's probably yeah. not going to get. He's getting run down, right? And he, he take out the fu- dude. He, he ran pay so well. Security minus the two fumbles. He's really good. The first fumble. The first was fumble was freaky. freaky yeah. unlucky. Like the he got it kicked out by one of his own offensive line. Like your offensive lineman's cleat should never come within of two right. feet of the ball. Right. And somehow it knocks it out. That one I feel huge sympathy for. The second one he should have known that was coming and had better ball security. The Baker pick is ridiculous in that that play was dead from a pre-alignment point of view. Now, at the very minimum, he needs to see that and be like, "This is there's a reasonable chance this play is in trouble already. All right, it's drawn up. No, no. Look, there are too many people listening, and they don't have any idea what you're doing, and I don't want to watch you. Really quickly, this is this. This was the, was the left tackle blocking him? The left, no, tackle, left tackle pulled. Pulling. Left guard was blocking. And, the, and he was blocking. And the Jarvis end. Landry is here. Right. So the play was supposed to be, you know, here's Baker. Here's the running back. It was going to be a running fake. Backs on the other side. Okay. You see, I can delete see, this. This is why we don't do it. This, this is, is why. No, no, this is good. This is good live 
YouTubing. Yeah, but so it's he really was faking this way. Podcasting right? for everyone that's listening. Jarvis is coming through here. He's going to follow the puller. Yeah. After the fake handoff, mm-hmm. so you got to have a little bit of, uh, you know, like. Uh, yeah. Well, so effectively, Jarvis Landry is lined up as like left tight end, right? And he's just going to jet across the formation. They're going to pop pass it to him. These are the things that Andy Reid does all the time, manufactures that cheap, easy, fake passing yardage the for prob- the quarterback. The problem is this block. Yes. The problem so is they the guard have- has to make this block on the end. If the end gets upfield at all. Yeah. This play is dead because this left tackle is pulling. Yes. Right. Because he's going to lead Jarvis on the toss play. Yeah. Into space. This back block, you're hoping that this end is just reading the run action yeah, and does. doesn't get upfield. Right. So there's Instead, a, he did. He came upfield. Jarvis also, for some reason, seemed slow out of his stance. I don't know if he missed the snap, if he himself was hesitating because he saw the end was going to come upfield and the play was going to be dead from the outset. Baker takes this little head nod to the right to the running back to fake it and then like looks back to Jarvis and does this like elongated pitch thing, right? I think he needs to see that this there's a there's a guy between him and the guy he wants to throw the ball to and eat it. Pull it yeah. down, not put the ball in the air. So this black back block, Lawrence guy basically just got upfield. Yeah. Take the and by the play. time this fake handoff was happening, he's there. Jarvis was right. blocked stuck. off. Right. So I think Baker needs to see that coming and not put the ball in the air. Like he needs to find a way to pull that back and eat it and just take the negative play. But this kind of sums up the Browns this season, right? In that, yeah, sure, Baker had some problems, and you can say, look, he needs to eat that. But I mean, this was a disaster from the outset. It was never going to work. And Shovel passes don't get picked off. A lot of different things went wrong to make this happen. And this was the third of the three consecutive turnover snaps. And at this point, you're like, the Browns need to just get back on the plane and go home. Like, this is ridiculous. Um, the Patriots had scored off one of the fumble returns. At this point, did that make it – was that 10-zip with the Patriots getting the ball again? It's like, ugh, it was just ridiculous. Then the Browns are like full starting every single play. Um, later in the game, they decide to intentionally full start on 4th and 11 in their own half to go for it on 4th and 16. Like, Why? What, what are you doing? And now – so clearly – Again, we go back to week one. We said, man, did we forget 10 penalties? Did we not put enough stock in the fact that this is Freddie Kitchen's first head coaching job? Can he organize this thing? Whatever. The fact that they had to false start on purpose on fourth and 11. Yes. Which isn't the worst thing in the world if it's not your fault. Like it's better than taking the timeout was his point. But it was your fault for not. Yeah, having the right personnel group out there. They had the punt team out there when they said, we really want to go for it. And they were, they were down 27 to 10. It was, right, it was the right move to go for it. Yeah. So 10 penalties on offense, right, for the Browns. My favorite thing, my favorite number in that, one guy had more than one. So 10 penalties, eight different players had a penalty. I don't know how many of them f- were false starts, but it seemed like most of them. Yeah. And it's like, what are you, like, look, this, this offense is already struggling and you are putting them essentially 50% or more behind the chains every single time you go out there for a drive. Like, you can't win like that. It's ridiculous. Um, and look, your Baker, boy may have had a, Richard Higgins maybe had a phantom penalty. That's the other thing, too. So, Baker, look, Baker is not playing well. Did no. not play that well in this game. But this was a, like, he, a perfect example of everything else being a disaster. In this game, so again, but what, why, if you're just looking at the stats, he had. 
a great throw to Rashard Higgins that was negated by the phantom offensive pass interference. He threw a good back shoulder to Odell Beckham that he dropped. And then this play was an interception. The idea that Antonio Callaway is still dramatically outsnapping Rashad Higgins, by the way, is still absurd. Yeah. When was the last time Antonio Callaway did something good for this offense? Didn't he catch a pass yesterday? Uh, yeah, a pass. Yeah, there you go. Baker also did get away with a misread of cover two that should have been a pick. So it's not all, it wasn't all great. Um, it is this incredible dynamic, though, of like interceptions that are weird and then his best passes just not becoming yeah. catches. Yeah, I mean, but it was a perfect highlight of look baker's playing badly don't get me wrong we're not trying to absolve him at all it's he's he's looking bad and things are not if anything they're getting worse um but everything was wrong like the the only thing that's been good about this offense before now has been nick chubb and for every good thing nick chubb did in this game he did multiple bad things like he he ran the ball really well in this game still and coughed it up twice so the only good thing in the offense so far this year was bad, at least overall, because of the turnovers today. The defense, at least, I, I thought the defense did a really good job. They have been as bad as the offense for much of this year. Mm-hmm. We thought they would be significantly better. But Olivier Vernon had his best game uh, for a long time. Miles Garrett was a wrecking crew as well. Sheldon Richardson had a pretty big game. This is what this defensive front was supposed to look like heading into the year. Um, I think the defense overall did a really good job. And it just didn't matter because the offense buried them in too deep a hole. Yeah, Brady was under pressure 18 out of his thir- uh, 39 dropbacks. So, yeah, they did do a nice job up front. The Patriots are 8-0. Their offensive line with Marshall Newhouse, who got whooped. Marcus Cannon didn't have a great game. And then Shaq Mason didn't play. So James Ferentz, uh, Ferentz, sorry, Kirk, uh, his dad's the Iowa coach. Yeah, James Ferentz um, struggled a little bit in pass protection. So... That's kind of been the issue, I think, offensively for New England. They tried to get Mohamed Sanu involved. He dropped his first pass, caught one on a fourth. He caught a couple, um, but he had his ups and downs. They're still trying to find just a consistent rhythm offensively in New England. Are they going to go after a tackle before the trade deadline? Well, I think they're expecting Isaiah Wynn to come back. Um, I think they're okay. Like Cannon wasn't great yesterday. I think they're okay yeah. with Cannon. But, but Newhouse, it's, is, Newhouse is bad. I mean, there was... Which is a shame because he's a really fun Twitter follower. Yeah, Follow. there's just... There's just a couple. You can be protected in the New England system. You know, quick passing game. Brady's got good feel in the pocket, all that stuff. But at some point, there's like two or three blocks per game where he's just whooped and they've got no shot. Like it's it's destroying plays. And that did happen yesterday a couple times. Um, so I think they're just banking on Isaiah Wynn to come back. Uh, once Sanu, you know, gets the system down and all that stuff, we saw Ben Watson catch one up the seam. I mean, it's not bad with Edelman, Dorsett, Sanu, and Watson out there in the backs. Mm-hmm. It's not bad, but they kind of need um, they need all that stuff to come together. Yeah. Look, I, because the defense should regress a touch at yes. some point. It's insane. How I think generally the playing. Patriots are, have looked – I think they are not quite as good as everything would indicate, right? Whether it's the absurd numbers the defense is putting up, right. whether it's the overall undefeated record, I think – They've had a very easy run of it so far, and there have still been little hints here and there that all is not rosy between beneath the surface. Oh, for sure. Uh, and there's, you know, there's the test, the test coming up, Baltimore next week right. on Sunday. Now I think they'll still Sunday be, night. you know, I think they're still in that echelon of, you know, there's levels to this game, and they're at the top, but they're not quite as dominant as this looks. Agreed. 
So 27 to 10, New England wins. Uh, weather was a factor early on. It did clear up. All right. But last game. Let's get to uh, the shootout. Yeah. So Kansas City Chiefs, Green Bay Packers. This looked like it was going to be a Packers walkover. They get out to what? A 14 nothing lead. Matt Moore's a quarterback. It's like, well, the game plan is out the window. This whole we got to manage the Matt Moore thing and make it, you know, limit what we ask him to do. Gone because now you got to chase a 14 point deficit. Not a problem, apparently. Now we get the game back. And now it becomes it becomes the Matt Moore dueling with Aaron Rodgers show. And ultimately, you know, Rodgers had another one of the best games we've seen from him in a long time. And I, I'm, I'm actually sort of generally excited at this concept of the best Aaron Rodgers coming back. Well, it wasn't the best Aaron Rodgers, though. It's pretty close, though. 71.5 passing grade. He, got, he should have thrown multiple picks. He had three turnover-worthy plays. This is the mo- that's the most he's had in a while. And the touchdown in the end zone was a throwaway. Was it? Yes. I don't know that that's true. Admittedly, was a throwaway. Did he say it was a throwaway? Yeah. He was trying to throw one where only Jimmy Graham could get it. And, right. then, and then half-jokingly, like, oh, and then if that other guy came through and caught it too, that'd be cool. I thought it was an overthrow to Jimmy Graham. That's different to a throwaway. Oh, either way, it was not deserving of... Well, it wasn't. I mean, it did incredible touchdown. It hit, that it looked it hit like. a different guy to the guy he was aiming at, but that's different to a throw. Oh, either way, I'm just saying his stat line's insane. Can we just discuss how stupid touchdown passes are sometimes? <laughs> Here's the deal: he threw a tap pass for a touchdown. Yeah. Then he hits uh, Aaron Jones with a bomb. Yes. Wide open. I mean, not wide, but I mean, he hits him. It's a good pass. Should be a 60-yard touchdown just because Aaron Jones can't keep his balance and steps out of bounds. It's not a touchdown for Rodgers. Yeah. Then he throws one, an overthrow to Jimmy Graham that becomes a touchdown. And this is why touchdown stats, over time, they're fine. But in small sample size, when you're like, oh, this guy threw four touchdowns. He had a great game. It's like, oh, my gosh, there's so many other things at play. The difference between, like, Aaron Jones steps out of bounds and just runs in a straight line equal to touchdown for Aaron uh, Rodgers. Yeah. Or the fact that he threw the ball from me to you for another one that did become a touchdown. Right. I mean, yeah, those are those plays we just talked about with the Baker thing, right? They're the sort of freak or the, the cheap, manufactured, easy, inflatory number plays yeah. that technically go down as passes, but really are something else entirely. Um, for, you know, Rogers, it worked out fine. <laughs> for Baker, he ended up throwing a pick on it somehow. So I think, are there, so are there Patrick Mahomes as a uh, system quarterback? I mean, Skip Bayless is definitely going to come up with that, right? I'm sure. Somebody's going to say that today. Yeah. Look, so the nuance is Matt Moore system quarterback, but there's nothing wrong with saying the system helps him. Yeah. Matt Moore is a reasonable backup quarterback and he's playing in a system. You could just see how, how good is Tyreek Hill with the ball in his hands. Plus he had it. He had his own tap pass where B. Cole Hardman looked like yeah. he was the fastest guy on the field. Matt Moore played well. He played well. Plus he got <laughs> inflated by the numbers the same mm-hmm. way Mahomes tends to. Yep. He gets some free. He gets some cheap free stats and he gets some incredible Patrick Mahomes stats. Moore made some really nice throws. He had some inflated stats based off of yeah, just so the scheme is amazing. Moore's average, and they hung tough. Moore's average depth of target was 6.5, right, which is Alex Smith levels of typically among the bottom of the NFL. Even just this week, the only people lower were Breeze, Jimmy Garoppolo, Carson Wentz, and Kirk Cousins. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's fair to say that, look, the system did protect him a little bit, but he still played well in it. Look, there's nothing I, – I don't see the issue with saying – this is one of the best systems, one of the most quarterback-friendly systems in the NFL. But 
the difference between it being, you know, looking like a, any other offense and it looking like it does when Patrick Mahomes is quarterback is Patrick Mahomes. Right. Like he takes a quarterback friendly system and turns it, turns it into the league's best offense. That's not being a system quarterback. That's being ridiculously good in a friendly system. I loved, uh, I thought Chris did a great job highlighting the, the touchdown that Matt Moore threw to Travis Kelsey. Yeah, that was nice. I mean, he had, uh, he lofted it up. He threw it over the wrong shoulder, but it looked like it was all designed. Kelsey made a really nice adjustment. That was Mahomesy, right? I mean, that was like, hey, we just got this incredible feel on the field. Let me lead you to space for a touchdown. That was a that was a beautiful play. Um, so yeah, it was one of those like Andy Reid had to coach incredibly to you know to to scheme it up. Now they punt late, yeah, from midfield. Mm-hmm. Give the ball back to the Packers. They put him inside the five or whatever it was, but it didn't matter because the Packers were moving the ball. And the other thing that Chris highlighted extremely well was. Here's the funny thing about the, the Kansas City defense. It seems like every week you're like, man, this is the position group that lost it for the Chiefs defensively. So in the past, it's been the run defense. Oh, man. Indianapolis ran all over them. The Chiefs can't stop the run. They got to shore that up. Last night, it was the linebackers can't cover. And we're just going to throw the ball to Aaron Jones. That was the other touchdown Rodgers had. He had a touchdown on a tap pass, a screen pass, and an overthrow. Those are his three touchdowns. And then the one that should have been a touchdown, Aaron Jones ran out of bounds. But they just destroyed Kansas City's linebackers in coverage. Uh, Anthony Hitchens struggling. Ben Neiman. I mean, everybody pretty much struggling. Yeah. So this was so that the fourth down thing was interesting because we talk generally about how there is this shift in NFL mindset towards taking the right decision and not doing this. Um, and yet there's still instances of this. It's sure it's easier to make the right call when it's only fourth and one than when it's fourth and three. But ultimately, the decision is still the same, right? It's which do you have more confidence in your ability to get three yards on one play or Aaron Rodgers' ability to drive the length of the field and score? Yeah. Now, the numbers would suggest that you have a much better shot of getting three yards in one play than you do of stopping Aaron Rodgers from scoring. And that's exactly the way it worked out. You gave Aaron Rodgers the chance. Also, the other thing is, like, you feel master... It Surely you are more master of your own destiny keeping it in your hands, right? Even if you think it's a 50-50 thing, would you not want to be the one taking the shot than giving them the shot? Unless you have, like, the 85 Bears defense. But even... I I, I don't know. It feels to me that you would always want the ball. I think I think it's more what your brain leans toward because what you just described isn't that bad, right? If I know my punter can put the ball inside the 10, all right, we need one stop, we'll get the ball back, and we'll probably get the ball back in a similar place where we just punted it from. Yeah, but ultimately it's oh, – with less time on the clock. With less time on the but clock. But ultimately it's which do you have more confidence in your ability – to execute on offense or your ability to stop them executing on offense. Yeah, so all, all I'm saying is what you just described isn't this like, man, that's an insurmountable situation. We better go for it. It's like, okay, that's a reasonable outcome that we can punt it, pin them, and then make a stop before they pick up two first downs, right? I think, they, I think coaches just think through that lens so much. Here's what happens if I punt it. Here are the things that need to go right. I've seen these things go right before. Therefore, I'm going to do it. Instead of thinking about, here's this one play. One play 
so that I can keep, you know, possession of the football instead yeah. of waiting for a bunch of other things to happen before I get possession again. That's the difference. Look, it's through the lens of if I make this play, I still get to have the football. Ultimately, it comes down. A wise coach, Jimmy McGinty, once said, winners want the football, Steve. Jimmy McGinty is the coach from the replacements. Oh, geez. I told, what? told it to Shane Falco. When he was, yeah, I he mean, was Falco had a great career. He was imparting wise lessons to Shane Falco, footsteps Falco, winners from the Sugar Bowl. Um, and he said, winners want the ball. Winners do want the ball. That's what it comes down to. If it's fourth and three, you have the ball, get three yards. Don't give it back to them because they want the ball. They're winners. Don't give win. them that chance. Just play to win. That's man. really what it comes down to. Fourth and three, get three yards. It's not that hard. You average three yards any way you, you execute the ball, right? Or any way you, you execute the play, whether it's pass, whether it's run. You average more than three yards doing any of those things. So trust yourself to do that. Just execute. That's it. Yep. Winners want the ball, Steve. Especially with Matt Moore at quarterback. You've got to be more aggressive. Absolutely. Um, it, is, it is also kind of like a note to, uh, a note to coaches when you have your backup quarterback. Zero run establishment by the Chiefs. Hmm. I mean, he had, he had 20 dropbacks before they had their sixth carry, I think. I mean, they were just chucking it. But as long, if you scheme it up nicely for your quarterback, that's the best way to protect him. Scheme it up offensively, create some throws, win through the passing game. Don't put him in third and 10 over and over again after running it. Yeah. Sound good? Yeah. Only run it when the Packers go like a four-man box like they like to do. Are the Packers the best team in the NFC? They're, again, one of those teams in that conversation. San Francisco, New Orleans, Green Bay. There's a bunch of those good teams in the What a the weird NFC. NFC. I mean, they lost to the Eagles in that Thursday night game in week four. Yeah, but the Eagles are still, like, potentially good. No, no, this is what I'm saying, though. It's like, I think the Eagles are better than their record. I think there's a lot of teams just better than their record. This has been the NFC the last couple of years. Like, they're all... There's 10 teams that are like yeah. le- legit in the NFC, and it's a couple games here and there, a couple breaks here and there that, that are separating them. Yeah. Packers are rolling, and they're still only one game clear of the Vikings. Yeah. Having still got to go to Minnesota, right? I mean, Green Bay beating Detroit on that Monday night game where Detroit got screwed. I mean, it's a fine line right now right? between good and bad mm-hmm. in the NFC. All right. That'll do it. Week eight. That was week eight. Yes. In the books. Not week seven. Monday night preview. Uh, Steelers Dolphins what are you looking for here sleep yeah looking for halftime and then the final whistle as soon as humanly possible so what I'm hearing is you're looking forward to the Genesis halftime show oh god what's going to be better the game or the Genesis halftime show I might actually call up movie trailers instead of the Genesis halftime show like last week Ryan Fitz is going to keep them in it it's going to be a good game it's going to be a good football game Ryan Fitz versus Mason Rudolph you watch it's going to be a good one sound good no. All right, guys, we'll be back. We'll be back Wednesday for some mailbag for some Stevenson Award and then Thursday on your podcast machines with a week nine preview. Mm-hmm. They have machines, right? For podcasts. Yeah, it's called a phone podcast machine. Oh, go to PFF shop. Throw the damn ball. Creep back towards average. Get those shirts. Yeah, stop speaking now. Let's just, just end this. It's been three hours. Bye, guys. Quick break to tell you guys about NFL Game Pass, the only way that you can replay every game all season long. You can relive all the gutsy calls, crazy catches, wild comebacks, and breakout stars from every game every week. It's all the action, all the football you can handle, all in one place. So every game that we're talking about right now, you guys can rewatch it after the fact. 
I'm going to be going back, and you guys can too. Go check out Lamar Jackson in week one. Go check out Dak Prescott and what that Cowboys offense actually did. Go check out Kyler Murray in his NFL debut. That's my favorite thing about NFL Game Pass. You can go back and watch at any time. And if you haven't watched a condensed game yet, you have to try it out. It's every play from the game back to back to back so you can replay an entire NFL game in the fraction of the time it normally takes. It's how I'm able to follow all the MVP candidates, all the breakout stars, and, of course, your waiver wire pickups all season long. To see all the action this season and stay on top of all the big storylines, you need NFL Game Pass. Best of all, you can kick off the 2019 NFL season with a seven-day free trial of NFL Game Pass. Just sign up now at NFL.com slash NFL. Get ready for the tastiest breakfast under the sun. New Jimmy Dean casserole bites. All the homemade flavors of a breakfast casserole packed into a poppable bite. And you know something else? They taste good.